Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. everybody welcome back to sacred city vision drip i want to take a little time today in this episode to tinker around with an idea that we've been tossing around on sunday mornings the last couple of weeks as we've been going through the book of ezra and we are if you don't recall let me let me catch you up here real quick of of the the ground that we've covered so far through the story of ezra um, they go back to rebuild the temple, kind of re- re-establish the um, worship routine, the rhythms of, of the temple life. Um, and after that has been established, um, we get into Ezra chapter 6, where Ezra finally comes on the this scene. He's sent back by the king of Persia to appoint magistrates and judges um, who are to rule according to the word of God. And what this shows us is that um, with the king's permission, um, and and not just the king's permission, but this is the way that God has designed it to be, um, that the word of God is to govern not only the temple function, uh, but the civil life as well. Um, And that's why there's judges and magistrates, people who are going to navigate civil matters. And so we've been talking about because these men are to go back and to judge according to the word of God, we're saying that Ezra is essentially commissioned by God and secondarily uh, by um, King Artaxerxes to go build a Christian society. Um, and now we're, we're, we say that sitting on this side of the cross and we look back through the Old Testament through the lens of the cross. And so we can make sense of things of here, what, what, what's going on here. Um, they didn't know who Jesus was at that point in time, but we see the, um, the beginnings of a Christian society that are being laid down there in Jerusalem. Now, one of the things when we talk about a Christian society, um, like a whole, a, a culture that is informed by Christianity, um, a culture um, that, um, well, let me, I'll walk through those distinctives of a Christian society here in a minute, but we hear that and we say, well, um, is that right for us to want a Christian society? Or is that unfair to other religions? Um, is it right for us to build and work for a Christian society to, to kind of um, fight for and create legislation that is more in line with the Word of God? Now, before I answer that question, let me get into those distinctives of what, what exactly am I talking about when we say we want to build a Christian society. Number one... Um, when we're talking about a Christian society, there has to be majority representation. In fact, this is something that the founding fathers knew um, when they were building the Constitution, um, when they were, I mean, even even predating the Constitution, that um, a uh, a heart that is in submission to God uh, is necessary for a heart that would be sub- in submission to the state. That there's this 
And it's necessary for the bulk, the majority, to have that. So um, for Christians to be uh, the majority representation, um, and, and not only that, but to experience true conversion, not just Christian by name or, or, you know, check a box and, well, I don't know what I am exactly, but this seems to most line up with my childhood. No, I'm talking about real Christians, true conversion, uh, members, vital members of the church um, who are connected and plugged in and uh, walking with Jesus in every aspect of life. We have to have the majority representation um, in order to build a Christian society. Um, and and you, what we're experiencing right now is that you don't have to be the majority to influence a society. For example, the LGBTQ agenda um, right now is is run by a, a, a an underwhelming minority of people, so small, a sliver of society, but it's very a loud sliver of society. And because of them, a lot of things are happening. Now, with with Christianity, if, if the culture were majority Christian, um, that would allow us to have a majority vote, to, to be able to um, put the people in office to make the right legislation or legislation that, that is in line with the Word of God. Um, and so that would be something that happens. Um, but mostly what we're concerned about are people who are actually walking with Jesus, having a uh, a legitimate relationship with him. Uh, the second aspect of a Christian society is that our legislation, I, I touched on this just a second ago, is that our legislation, our, our whole society and the rules of operation uh, are ordered by the Word of God, that the Word of God comes to bear. Um, and we believe as Christians that God's laws are the most just laws, that, that you, cannot ha- you can't make more just laws than the laws that God has given us. He, he's given us uh, the right laws, the, the necessary laws that are necessary for promoting human flourishing. In fact, um, Noah Webster, who's a, well, he's, he's long gone, dead dude, um, but he, he said this. He was around at the, towards the beginning of our, our nation. He says, the moral principles and precepts contained in the scriptures ought to form the basis of all our civil institutions or constitutions and laws. All the miseries and evils which men suffer from, vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war, proceed from their dis, uh, their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. What he's saying here is all of the, the ills of our society could be avoided if we were to uh, submit to the Word of God, if we were to you know follow the Ten Commandments. In fact, um, Pastor Ray Ortland, I heard him say this uh, a while back, said if if everybody in the city were to just for one day obey all of the Ten Commandments for the whole day, our city would be like heaven. Um, and, and that's the kind of flourishing, that's the kind of joy that God's laws give, uh, open up, uh, open us up to. Um, and, and so we, we need God's laws. Um, they're the most just laws. They work the best for human flourishing. Now, when, when you have a majority representation and you're, your um, society is ordered or legislation is ordered by um, the Word of God. It's not necessary that everybody in the society be converted, but there is merit to having a Christian society built that even pagans can benefit from. In fact, some of the founding fathers, like Thomas Jefferson, um, pe- people are famously going back and say, well, he wasn't a Christian, and a lot of evidence supports that that is, in fact, true. Um, but he at least knew that society had to be structured according to the Word of God, otherwise it would collapse in on itself. Um, now, when we start talking about the state being ordered and and um, governed by the Word of God, as far as the Word of God coming to bear, um, a upon the, the, the law of the land, 
um, that the laws would be principled by the word of God, people start to get suspicious and wonder, listen, um, are we starting to blur the lines here between the church and the state, right? After all, First First Amendment speaks of separation of church and state, and we hear this and we say, well, where's the separation? It sounds like things are getting a little hazy here. Um, and, and if we don't understand... Um, the First Amendment rightly, and, and there's a couple things that lead to us not understanding um, the First Amendment very well. One, it's to, due to a lack of education. Um, we were not educated on what the meaning of separation from church and state is all about. Um, we, we weren't taught the historical context um, that led to this um, the, the First Amendment being, being drafted. Um, because back in the motherland of England, there was a lot of collusion happening between the Church of England and and whoever was sitting on the throne, where um, that that ruler, um, whether it be King George or somebody else, would be overstepping their um, their bounds as far as what what their jurisdiction was um, as the king to get into the business of the church, um, and then the church would find itself on occasion doing the same thing, and so um, it ended up creating this very unhealthy dynamic between the church and the state, and and it's like they were both kind of in bed together, and um, it, it it became a shell of what the church, the church specifically became a shell of what it was supposed to do. And the church suffers so too with the society. And so that's one of the reasons, primary reasons why people left, uh, England to come to, uh, the new world to, to experience some religious freedom, um, to get away from the church of England and, and some of the, the shenanigans that were going on there. Um, and when we don't understand the historical context, um, and, and see that is what the, the first amendment's trying to prohibit is sort of that overlap or, or the state getting in bed with the church and the church getting in the shoes of, of the state, um, we, we will misinterpret this or, um, and with this, this is a second product of this is that, um, the liberal voices that are crying out right now, very loudly, m- might I add, um, they're crying out for a neutral and I'm, you can't see me, I'm doing air quotes right now, a neutral, uh, society which um, we've talked about before, there is no such thing as neutral. Everything um, is religious. Everything has religious undertones, overtones. It's there. Everything is connected to some religious matter. And and because of this, um, we, we think that there is such thing as a neutral. Um, we get confused about how um, the church and the state can work. And, and, and for us as Christians, the answer, uh, the, the course correction comes as we go back to the scriptures for these answers. Um, and, and Marcellus Kirk, Kirk uh, Kick is his name, um, he says this, the source of confusion comes from our tendency to employ the words church and religion as synonymous. So here he's making a distinction. There's a difference between um, saying there's a difference between church and state and religion and state. He says that when we start flipping church and religion synonymously, then we're going to run into issues. There's misunderstandings happening. He says he goes on. To maintain that there must be a separation between church and state does not necessarily mean that there must be a separation between religion and state because, as we've talked about just a minute ago, nothing is neutral. Everything has religious connections. It's either Christian or it's pagan. Those are the only two options. It's either Christian or it's pagan. Everything has some sort of religious connection. 
Um, and and what we understand as as Christians, um, as we study the Word of God, is that there's a biblical relationship that exists between the church and the state. Um, it's not that that there's no place for religious laws to come to bear in the civil realm, um, which the Old Testament does a great deal of, of arguing for, that that would actually take place. And that's why we can say, um, even today, we want to see a Christian society, and, and we still don't have that, that blurring of lines, the distinction of church and state. Um, but the, the true biblical relationship between um, the church and state that exists, that is, is right, um, acknowledges that both are under the lordship of Jesus. When Jesus is talking, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Um, everywhere, every domain is under Jesus. And while they, the church and state are both under Jesus, they are jurisdictionally separate. So the state and the church have a unique set of authority that applies to certain um, arenas of life. For example, the church, we're told, has the keys to the kingdom. The church is entrusted with the gospel message. It's not given to the state. It's given to the church, the people of God. And this gospel message is the message for salvation for all who believe. And it is what leads to living the Christian life. It, it's what grows us as the disciples of Jesus. And so the church has the keys to the kingdom. At at the same time, the state has the sword, and the sword is intended. Romans 10 talks about this. We we talked about this several weeks ago. Um, The sword is given to punish evil and protect those who are law-abiding citizens. And so those are the jurisdictional lanes. The church in regards to the spiritual realm, the kingdom realm, um, the state in the civil realm, um, carrying the sword to punish evil and to promote uh, the good of law-abiding citizens. And we can see that this this separation, this jurisdictional separation, uh, several times pops up in the Old Testament. Um, we see this with Moses and Aaron. Moses, he was appointed as the primary leader of the people of Israel, the judge, the chief judge. Um, his his father-in-law Jethro came to him. He was just up to his his eyeballs with um, civil matters, you know, dealing with people bickering over whose property is who and and what's what and all that business. And and his, his father-in-law tells him, hey, you need to appoint these upper and, and lower magistrates, these greater and, and lesser magistrates to help you rule and govern the people. And we see that that the, the governance of the Word of God happens um, through the Ten Commandments. First, The first four Ten Commandments are, are spiritual, or, or um, they are, are religiously related, dealing with how we relate to God, but then Commandments 5 through 10 deal with how we relate to one another. There's civil interaction, and then there's a whole other civil um, set of laws that, that gets that gets extracted uh, from that for the people of God. Then we see Aaron, on the other hand, who's appointed as the high priest. He's he's over, he's in charge of the religious affairs of the people of God. And here, even with Moses and Aaron, there's this distinction, there's this jurisdictional separation um, where Aaron offers the sacrifices and Moses judges uh, the people, leads the people of God. We see a similar thing uh, as we'll, we don't see it now in Ezra, but we'll see it when we get into Nehemiah. When Nehemiah comes on the scene. Uh, Nehemiah comes more as a civil leader, um, as a governor even. And Ezra uh, assumes the role of a scribe, um, which what his vocational training is, where he is um, working more in the religious sector of life. But there you have the civil, the, you have the religious. Um, and so there, there are these, the separation of authority, uh, a separation of focus between um, those two, but between the state and between the church. Now, 
jurisdictional separation does not mean total separation as, as they have nothing to do um, with each other. First of all, they're connected in, in the fact that they both submit to God's law, that they're both under the lordship of Jesus. Um, so that's the first connection. Um, but then there's also this connection and how they complement one another. Um, the state promotes godly reform um, through legislation and upholding just law. So um, the state can be helpful, and, and that's why why the state or, or these government officials are, are referred to as ministers. It's a it's a way of serving, of advancing the kingdom in a very uh, specific kind of civil manner, where they're they're working for godly reform in the civil sector. Um, now, as we call people to obey these certain laws, what what is revealed and is that when it's rightly understood according to the scriptures. Um, we break the commandments, and and we are all offenders of the law of God, which exposes our need for uh, a savior. Kind of what we talked about in our last episode about how the law of God functions as a mirror and reveals to uh, to us our own brokenness. Um, and and even in having a civil law that's set up in that manner can help promote um, and and be that that mirror to people that would lead to true um, regeneration, to to true conversion, so that people not only just live and operate within a Christian society. But but they themselves uh, become Christian. And then the church interacts with the state in the sense that it's a prophetic counselor. It's, it's that the prophetic office that uh, the people of God has to call people, to beckon people who've, who've gone away um, to come back, to return to the Lord and, and, and see him return to you. And so the, the church functions, um, and, and this is getting more and more rare in our society where the church sort of just rolls over and keeps their mouth shut and puts their head down and sort of is just happy that we get to keep meeting on Sundays um, and hopefully they don't take away those privileges. You know, that sort of mentality, it's very sheepish. Um, the, the calling for the church is to be more prophetic, to be more bold, to call the state, to call the nations. That's part of the Great Commission, to disciple the nations. Um, so not just our nation, but go beyond, to call um, the nations to reform according to the Word of God. And so when we get into this discussion about um, should we want to have a Christian society? Well, y- yes. If you're a Christian, yes, you should, because there is no other just society. Um, there's no other alternative that's going to be a more favorable society for anybody. Um, it's either Christ or it's chaos. It's, it's either um, a reform to the Word of God or, or it's entropy, like we talked about um, last Sunday. And so... Um, the church, the separation between church and state simply means that the church and the state have their own lanes, that God has appointed them to, to exercise dominion over certain aspects of life, and they stay in those lanes, and they don't overstep into one another, right? This goes back to the original intention behind uh, the First Amendment of, of not allowing the king to get his, his hands in the cookie jar of the church and kind of have his way with that. So we don't want to see this overstepping. We, it's a protection, actually, more for the church than it is the state. Um, but when we, our, our, our religious beliefs are not private affairs. They, they don't stop um, when we leave church on Sunday mornings. They come with us. And so therefore, as we take our religious beliefs into the civil sector of life, um, and we believe, and we should believe wholeheartedly that they are the most just and the most, uh, the laws that, that provide the, um, the avenue to flourishing. And so, as, as we see in the Old Testament, um, there has to be these, these sort of, um, this, these lanes established, um, and, and sort of checks and balances as far as who can do what and what's what. Um, and, 
as we desire to build a Christian society, know that the work happens on both fronts, that the reform is going on within the households of the household of God, that the people of God are being reformed according to the Word of God. And as more and more people are giving themselves to the Word of God, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus, um, we start to become salt and light, that that we provide a alternative culture than what the, uh, the culture is offering right now, a culture of life instead of a culture of death. Um, and we ought to pray for and strive and work for um, the development of a Christian society. And, and Lord willing, we'll get to see our nation uh, with another reformation, another revival return to its Christian roots. I mean, wouldn't it be wild to have every American Every tongue, every American tongue profess and every American knee bow at the name of Jesus to revere Jesus as Lord. Um, and I just think of the life that uh, would get injected into our society. I think of the joy. I think of, of the restoration that would occur because of that, not just in the church, um, but in society as a whole. And I, I have a desire to see that. I hope you do too. It's, it's, in fact, the Lord invites us into this desire as we pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's with that, we long for, we work for a Christian society.